0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at Well, Welcome again to our online and on-demand service here at Missio Day Chicago. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful that we can worship in this way and in this space on this day. It is my hope that God has something special for you that you would be able to receive a word or the manifest presence of God, regardless of wherever you are. And we have a faith that says the Spirit of God meets us as we are, wherever we are. And so I pray that that uh, would impact you and that the response would be worship to King Jesus. We could share in that collectively. Well, today we are continuing on in the church season of Lent, a season that is for reflection, deep reflection of preparation and also of repentance. And at Missio Day, our current series is entitled Long, Longing for Rebirth. And what we're doing is tracking through the Gospel of John, and we are looking at the pathway of baptism that was instituted by Jesus. So we began with this awareness of the presence of Christ and the invitation for us into resurrection life. Uh, the following week, we talked about acknowledging our need. I mean, the, the uh, Beatitudes begin with blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, that offer nothing and gain everything because of, of God and Christ Jesus on our behalf. We spoke on turning to the way of Jesus through confession and understanding repentance. And then last week, we started a, a two-week kind of focus on Jesus submerging into death So that on Resurrection Sunday, we can emerge into resurrection life. So, we broke that down with two key questions in a deeper understanding of of why Jesus had to die. That's what we talked about last week. And then this week, uh, asking the question of why did Jesus have to suffer? And one of the things that I'm going to get after is both, one, why Jesus suffered, and then also uh, what happens when we suffer is reframing our perspective of that question and not why was it mandated so that Jesus would die, or why was it mandated so that Jesus would suffer, but rather, what did it look like when Jesus suffered, and what was ultimately the purpose of it? And I think that the, as I'll unpack in a minute, the difference, uh, you know, perspective makes a bit of, of difference, So as we're approaching suffering or pain in general, we can balk at the suffering of Jesus. The crucifixion of Christ has been a problem from the very beginning. Listen to what Christopher Hitchens once said. He said, I find something repulsive about the idea of vicarious redemption, whether it's the bloody method of death or the theological meaning of the atonement. Even Christians are tempted to give the crucifixion its due and then move briskly to talk about the hope of the resurrection, for it is much more life-affirming. And then secondly, with our own pain and our own suffering, oftentimes when we approach these difficult times or these hard seasons of pain and suffering, we discover barriers to our faith that we didn't know existed or that hadn't prior to the experience of of suffering. So, the question that we find ourselves asking, one of the basic questions uh, that we all wrestle with, is why would a good God allow good people to suffer? Or even if we say, yeah, like, no one is good, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, why is it that those who have been called unto him and, and are called children of God, why do, why do we experience difficulty in this world? Why do we experience suffering on this side of the resurrection of Christ? eagerly anticipating, looking towards the consummation of the kingdom of God, what do we do with suffering here and now? So I'm going to approach this in two ways, as I just mentioned. One is, why did Jesus suffer? And then second, why do we suffer? And I want to reframe that to a different question, and that is, when Jesus suffered and when we suffer. So there are two reasons why we avoid any deep thinking or talking around the crucifixion and suffering in general. Firstly is that we live in a, a country where uh, American Christianity or Christianity in general is seen and understood and experienced and many of us in our uh, church grew up in mainline Protestant evangelical Christian circles and as a result, when we think about Jesus on the cross, there is a dominant theory that is is uh, more uh, I don't know, pervasive than other theories of what happened exactly on the cross. And that theory is what we call penal substitution, that Jesus served as our substitute. And the, the, the penal uh, part is, is this just judicial punishment from God upon the son of God on our behalf. It's this view that focuses on the wrath of God and that puts punishment at the pinnacle rather than other characteristics of God. And and why that's difficult for a lot of us to to swallow is because we see that in the Old Testament, but then we are a community of Jesus. And in the New Testament, we find Jesus is all about instituting peace. He's all about grace and forgiveness and, and love. And so we see these two characteristics that odds with one another, the wrath of God or the justice of God, and then we see the love of God, and we much prefer the love of God. And so why we struggle talking about the crucifixion or deeply understanding it is because of rejection of that theory of the atonement of Christ on our behalf. Another reason why we avoid uh, deep thought or talking around the crucifixion or suffering in general is because we've rejected the notion of sin We've rejected the notion, by and large, speaking, of suffering. Those are two bad S words in the church. Evil or judgment. Now, where we have in the most recent years been confronted with uh, systemic injustice, evil, and we have a heart and a cry for justice and judgment upon all wrong in in our world and in our country and even in our city, I think the, the notion of rejecting sin and suffering uh, is embraced as a whole, but limited in our own lives. It's kind of like that saying of, we demand judgment on those who wrong us and mercy for ourselves as we wrong others. So the perspective can kind of, kind of shift. So very briefly, what I want to do is highlight in our, for our understanding of Jesus' suffering, three important biblical words and you've heard these before and want to just extrapolate them a little bit. The first one is, is judgment. Now, as I mentioned last week, uh, this rejection, uh, I mentioned this to my congregation, and hey, you can, you can watch it on, on Facebook Live uh, as, as well, Monsieur de Humble Park. It was awesome, like all of our other congregations as well. But I mentioned this, that that the rejection of judgment and the struggling with judgment in the Old Testament is is really a mainline uh, expression of Western Christianity problem. If you look at other faith traditions or church traditions in the world in our time, if you look at other uh, church expressions, even in in our own uh, country, I'm thinking of like um, the the African-American church, judgment is not balked at or bristled at. Minority churches, it's not balked at or bristled at. Usually that, that kind of you know, hesitancy comes out of a privilege and even a positional power within, within the church. It's a whole different other talk. But, but what we find is that, that we do struggle with this concept of judgment. Richard Niebuhr, he wrote that, that this American Christianity tends to preach the gospel without judgment and Christ without the cross. Now, if you do serious Bible study in the Old Testament, and even in the New, if you look at like Pauline writing, or if you look at, you know, again, Old Testament, what you find is that judgment, biblical judgment, is not an emphasis upon punishment, which is what we have often mistaken it for. Biblical judgment rather addresses the reality and the pervasiveness of sin, the depth of sin in creation. And we have to be reminded that this judgment is never the last word in God's redemption plan. That grace and goodness are always spoken and realities before and after this judgment. So we have to reframe the way we understand judgment, meaning that punishment cannot be the pinnacle. And that judgment is not the final word, but a part of God's redemptive plan. Now the second word that I want to explore is substitution. We have to understand that substitution is a part of God's redemptive plan. That's why if we throw out uh, all that has to do with penal substitution, we can throw out that Christ served as a substitute on our behalf. That he, the innocent one, stood in the gap for the guilty. As Isaiah, which, which is a prophetic writing in the Old Testament that speaks to uh, Jesus' um, uh, uh, work, his atoning work in our, in our life. It says that chastisement was laid upon him. Uh, Fleming uh which Melissa references last week, uh, she wrote this, The horrible death and vision for the suffering servant in the horrific death suffered by Christ Jesus is a response to the gravity of sin. Sin must be judged by a righteous God, but we should not see this as baselessness for uh, our faith or even outside of our hope. This is our hope. She continues to write, he will judge us for all that we have done, all that is wrong, and he will redeem us from it. That is why the word justification is so important. Justification means that God is setting right all that is wrong. Think about Romans chapter three. Since we all have sinned, They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation, and I butcher that word every single time, but essentially it means the atonement of Jesus, the setting right of all wrong by his blood. This is the very grace of God. So I said judgment, uh, substitution, and the third one is justification justification for our our sin comes through Christ. And now the temptation for us to live and also to say is that uh, our forgiveness comes after we repent of our sin. Isn't it funny how many things we say theologically that are theological truths but are lived differently in our lives? We balk and we push at workspace salvation, yet we, you know, scramble and strive in our own strength to earn God's affection. But the Bible shows that the grace of God, the goodness of God comes before our endeavors. Justification is that forgiveness is given first and repentance comes after. Romans chapter 5, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We have access to grace, granted forgiveness, and then as a result, we repent and turn to the way of Jesus. Forgiveness is made available through the blood of Christ. Blood of Christ is significant for us. We take communion every single week. We're reminded of the body broken and the blood shed on behalf of us so that we can receive the cup of the resurrection, drink full of the new life. Now, where the blood of Christ is so significant is when we talk about the death and the brutal method of Christ's death, the crucifixion. The crucifixion was designed to be the worst type of death. It was a statement of what would happen to you if you rebelled, if you revolted to this to the world power at the time, to the system of this world. This is what would, would happen to you. It was so grotesque and obscene that Romans would avoid talking about it in general. They would just kind of, keep it on the margins of how brutal it was. One journalist wrote that the crucifixion of Jesus would have been the most ghastly thing to behold. And it's true. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it was a joy that was set before Jesus to endure the cross. He despised the shame of it for our own redemption. So on that tree, why uh, the, the brutality of it? Why the measure of death of it? Why the most extreme method of death? And I know we talked about this this last week, so I'll be very, very brief here. But on the cross, we see the expanse of suffering and of death and of, you know, like just the, the, that we as people would do things like this to one another we find Jesus taking all of that sin, all of that suffering, everything that the world could throw at him, he took upon himself on the cross and comes out as a victorious king. We see Christ who has victory over Satan and over all evil. Again, with Romans, the idea of Romans chapter five is that Jesus takes all of the wrong, all of the brokenness, all of the death on himself for the entire human race. And in so doing, he has won victory over everything that would destroy us. And so that that means that no matter what uh, baggage or difficulty or, or or things that are on your hand, the blood on your hand, so to speak, Christ has accommodated space for you and found victory enough for you. Philip Yancey, he's a Christian author and he writes a great deal on pain, suffering, and the deeper questions. He said this, to some, the image of a pale body glimmering in, dark, uh, in the dark of night, whispers of defeat. So what good is a God who does not control his, son's, his own son's suffering? But another sound can be heard, and that's the shout of a God crying out to human beings, I love you. Love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross. The one who said he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission for him, but chose not to because of us. At Calvary, that is on the cross, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. So any discussion of how pain and suffering fit into God's scheme ultimately leads back to the cross. So I look at the cross, and and my view, very, very briefly, is that here we have Jesus substituting himself, ransoming uh, of himself, his people back, confronting all that is wrong and broken, all the evil in the world and coming out in victor, that Christ has won the victory. Not some divine whipping boy that God in some form of a dysfunctional triune family just pours out his his anger and wrath upon. Jesus takes all that is is wrong and broken and and, and recycles it into good. He's willing to the full extent to take on that form in suffering as well. The second question that, that I asked was, well, why then do we suffer? And, and I really want to just focus in on when we suffer. When we suffer because pain and punishment and difficulty of life is not the final word. This isn't the the notes, but one of the things Philip Yancey said in the interview is like, when I encounter people of extreme guilt, their question is, is not why, as much as it is will. Will I see my family again? Will things be set right? Will I remain in this circumstance for my entire life? And this is something that our church needs to learn from churches of ancient and old who have been under oppressive power is that hope always extends beyond present circumstances. The hope of future glory, the hope of of the king of glory setting right all the broken, a vision for revelation, not a fear of all the weird imagery. So I want to focus on when we suffer. See, the suffering of Jesus is not a rejection of our experiences that are painful or even over our own suffering, What the suffering of Jesus says is that our own suffering matters, that it's not unimportant or it doesn't have meaning or worth or even um, that God isn't seeing it. And so in Christ, we find a God who has suffered alongside of us. Matthew chapter 26 says Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. Jeremiah 25 says that Jesus drank the full cup of wrath. Not only did Jesus endure physical, emotional, spiritual realities or earthly realities, Jesus also endured the depth of our pain and of our suffering. And we find a Jesus that is with us. And this Jesus, the God who suffers, is also the God who is recycling all things unto himself, redeeming all things to himself, holding all things together a huge chunk of scripture. I'm just going to read it because it just packages all this really well. And that's Romans chapter 8 verse 18 through 23. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So all things that we go through should be anticipating to a future reality, a future glory that is free from suffering, is free from sin. The older that I get, the more I long for that day when the tears will be wiped away and the word no more is spoken over. How much have we grieved this last year or 14 months? 2020 is still continuing on, just to be frank with y'all. Week after week, mass shootings, violence, violence, Systemic injustice. People and their supremacy, which is blatant terrorism and evil, being common news. My children are being raised in this reality. And this is not just, oh, that's what happens when you're 12, you know. No, this is an evil, evil time. If I don't have the hope of the gospel saying that judgment and justice will come down, then I'm, I'm crumbling as a father, I'm crumbling as a pastor. I'm crumbling as a man after God's own heart. So we look to that future glory. All things can be used by God for good in your life, even the most difficult things. Dallas Willard once said this, that all of human experience, in all of it, nothing irredeemable will happen to you. So when we address the topic of suffering, we must put a hope as a target and aim for something beyond our present reality. And with suffering, the Bible always emphasizes looking forward rather than looking backward. I think about John chapter nine. Jesus is with his disciples, and they come to uh, the blind man that's been blind since birth. What were the disciples' questions that they asked? Jesus, or rabbi, who was it that sinned that caused this man to be blind for his whole life? Was it this man? which is a real bummer. I mean, that's some serious sin in the fetus. Or was it his parents that caused him to be, uh, to be blind? See, his disciples are looking backwards, but Jesus is looking forward when he says, it was neither this, the man or his parents, but this, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And he went on to heal uh, this particular person. So the disciples look backwards, Jesus looks forward. And this is absolutely critical for us to understand whether healing or the absence of pain and suffering is not the main point. Our emphasis is not why there's suffering, but what will God do in light of it? And we have the cross to look to as well as the resurrection to understand it. The cross, the worst thing in human history is what we call good. We're gonna be... Uh, remembering and uh, lamenting uh, the death of Jesus on what we call Good Friday. And we call it good because in the cross, we see the recycling nature of God, recycling death into resurrection life. Philip Yancey, again, he said, on a small scale, person to person, Jesus encountered the kinds of suffering common to all of us. And how did he respond? Avoiding philosophical theories, theological lessons, he reached out with healing and compassion, forgave sin, healed the afflicted, casted out evil, and even overcame death. This is uh, the truth that can be spoken over us when uh, we experience suffering. So I, I talked briefly about you know when Jesus suffered, uh, when we suffer, and I want to conclude with those who are presently suffering in our community. For I can't get over what Melissa said, I don't know, maybe a month, a month and a half ago, and she said, a Christian community holds intention, celebration and lament. and the the balm or the healing or the the good news oftentimes comes from those within the the community uh, that are counter to a you know, shared experience. So if you are are celebrating, that celebration could be extended and seeded courage into someone who is in desperate need. So I just have three words that I would hope would bring comfort. Uh, for you if you're experiencing pain or suffering this time. The first one is that Jesus is with us and he offers hope beyond our, our present suffering. We look upon the cross and we find an advocate and someone willing to sit in our experience with us. When you go through extreme uh, loss, uh, it's, it's very, very few times is it a word that translates to comfort, it's usually presence. I don't remember, in in all the losses in in my life, I don't remember advice that was given, but I remember the people who were there. Jesus is there. Secondly, that you are not alone in that, you're not alone in an isolated suffering experiment. The Bible gives us words to explain our experience. It gives us hope for a future where there will be no more tears, where we will drink uh, from the full life evermore, where death is banished, pain and separation and justice have no place. And then the third word is this. Uh, It's true that the, the distinction of the Christian community at our most altruistic and best form is that we carry one another's burdens. That we carry one another's burdens. So for those who are suffering... Uh, know that it's not a mathematical equation. There's not a comparison of the degrees of suffering. I think those are very uh, unhelpful for a community, and they also contribute to greater damage within the pain that we own experience. So there's like psychological difficulty, there's uh, emotional, there's physical, there's the variations of suffering. What we do know is it's a human, a shared human experience. But we are given one another. And so in our suffering, cry out to God, yes, but cry out to the gift of the body of Christ for your spiritual needs, for physical needs, and for emotional needs as well. And so the very last thing I want to do is I want to share a story. I'm using Philip Yancey a lot. He's just an amazing author and minister to the church. But he said this, when suffering happens, it forces us to confront life in a different way than we normally do. Uh, After uh, Yancey wrote all these a lot of books on, on suffering. Where's God when it hurts is one example. What's so amazing about grace is another example. In 2007, he lives in Colorado. He was involved in a horrific uh, car accident. He was coming off the mountain, hit a patch of ice and rolled multiple times down an embankment. They took him to a rural hospital and the resident doctor had told him that he had broken his neck and he needed to be life flighted um, to a, a metropolitan area to go to a, a better hospital that could do immediate surgery to save his life. And the doctor just had poor bedside batter. He was very um, casual about it. And he says this, well, if your artery is punctured, you're not going to be able to make it to the surgery. So here's a cell phone. Why don't you call the people that you love and tell them goodbye just in case? Ouch. Now, uh, Yancey confesses afterwards uh, this. Um, He said that after the successful surgery, in which he had a full recovery, when he was confronted with extreme suffering, he says you gain a degree of clarity on the important questions of one's life. The questions that ran through his mind and that he lives his life by now are, who do I love What have I done with my life, and am I ready for what comes next? Everything else kind of just dissipates and faded away. When I heard that story, I couldn't help but to think of Christ on the cross, willingly suffering. We who knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become, uh, let me, I just butchered that, forgive me, but he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This was not our doing, this was his This was not our plan, this was his. Hebrews 12 says he joyfully stepped into the suffering because of his immense love for you and dependence upon the will of the Father. So Christ on the cross is a pronouncement of who God loves. God so loved the world. The accomplishment of the cross in the most immense suffering he had was victory over all that would deter, that would separate all of death And then I love the final words. Jesus says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. I know where I go next. Jesus has said before, right? Like he will intercede on our behalf. He's preparing a place for us, a place that we know has no more tears, no more suffering where justice reigns. And so in the midst of this time, we need a church that bears one another burden, loves well is not um, undone by suffering or even, or, and certainly doesn't celebrate it or, or foster shame by any means, but cares for one another well, all the while saying, Jesus is Lord and come soon, Lord Jesus. So I'd hope that uh, you have access to people who could care for you, for, love you well in this time, especially as we are looking to our renewed season, the spring, the summer that's coming. Our pastors are here for you. Our leadership teams are here for you. We have counselors available for you. If you need care, go to Jesus, go to the word, and then go to your community. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. I thank you for these YouTube services and for the new Facebook live technology that we are engaging in. I pray that you would bless and anoint our time that we share together. Thank you for this community. I pray, Lord, that you'd be magnified and glorified even in the midst of the hardship. In in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodeschicago.com.